Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray that as we uh, listen to your word read this morning and hear it explained, that this wouldn't be just an academic exercise. We pray, God, that this would be a moment where your being, your spirit touches our spirit, where we become something because of you where you change us, where you forgive us, where you grow us, where you lead us. Jesus, what we're saying is the next 20, 25 minutes, just do what you want to do. We sit in a posture that says, thy will be done. So be it. And amen. Amen. So as Easter is coming, we have been walking with Jesus toward the cross, and, and we've been using the Gospel of John, John's account of this movement of Jesus, John 18 and 19 primarily. We've seen Jesus get arrested, and we've seen this sort of strange pre-trial that he has uh, with Annas, the former high priest. Today we're going to look at Jesus' official trial. We've noted throughout this series of the fact that nothing happens to Jesus. Jesus is in charge. Even as he is arrested, Jesus puts himself forward and basically volunteers himself to be arrested. Uh, In his pre-trial... we wonder who is the one being questioned within this pre-trial. And within this trial, we're going to wonder who is on trial here. Is Jesus on trial or is Pilate on trial or is the crowd on trial or are we on trial? What is going on? Because Jesus seems completely committed to going to the cross and he is. His death does not surprise him in the least. He travels to the cross on purpose. And we see his purpose in the way he handles his trial this morning. I'm going to read this. It's going to be a different kind of sermon this morning. Uh, It's a longer text, and I want to really focus on hearing the text. So I'm going to read a bit of the text and then give a little bit of a comment and then read some more of the text and give a little comment. We're going to do that a few times, and then then we're going to be done. So listen to this. This is John chapter 18, verse 26, all the way to John chapter 19, verse 16. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them, and he said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, Well, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was going to die. 
Here in our opening scene this morning, the Jews take Jesus to uh, Pilate and they want him tried and uh, crucified by the Romans. And in a great stroke of irony, they hold themselves in mass outside of the headquarters. They don't want to go into this Gentile building because if they do, they will have what they consider to be ritual defilement so that they wouldn't be able to eat the Passover meal, which was that night. So they want to keep themselves pure and clean and good. So they hold themselves outside of the judgment chambers. Meanwhile, they plot the death of an innocent man. The irony here is so rich, so thick. Uh, In Jesus' words, they're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel, right? They're performing the minutiae really, really well and falling flat on their faces. As they do this, it's convicting to me because how often do we do similar things? Not as heavy, not as deep, not as, you know, cosmic. But how often do we strain at the small things, get really picky about the details of this life while falling flat on our faces with the major things? How often do we think that we're upholding the goodness, the virtue, the whatever, while not following the simplest command of Jesus to simply love God and love other people? How often do we find ourselves obsessed with the minor and insignificant things and failing on the huge things? How often are we found in the judgment seat judging someone else and and revealing our failure in the process. It's interesting, Pilate's question to them, what are you accusing this man of? And they are saying, well, he's a criminal. Wouldn't have brought him here if he wasn't a criminal. Well, you try him. Well, we want him dead. And we know they don't just want him dead. They want him crucified. We'll see in... in, um, In the early part of Acts, the Jewish people stoned Stephen. They were able to do this. It was against the rules, you know, the Roman rules, but they were able to do so. They don't just want Jesus dead, though. They want Jesus humiliated. They don't want the followers of Jesus to have a martyr to follow. You see, if he dies a maybe somewhat glorious death, maybe the Jesus movement will continue. But if they uh, see Jesus crucified, killed in the most savage of ways, then there will be no Jesus movement. No one would follow a movement led by a man who was hung on a tree. As the Bible says, anyone hangs who hangs from a tree is cursed by God. Unbeknownst to them, Jesus intends to be this curse. Jesus intends to take on this curse entirely. He is purposefully becoming cursed to take on the sin and all the garbage on himself in all the world 
then, now, and forever, to be the sacrifice for all sin. Continue in the story. So Pilate goes back into headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asks, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, did you, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? And Peter replied, I mean, excuse me, Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, What is truth? The way Jesus claims that his kingdom is not of this world is convicting. How often does our faith transcend this reality here on earth? How often does our faith go beyond what we can see and touch? How often do we live according to the unseen world in which Jesus is king? I didn't get too thick into it with the the kids this morning, but this is really the trouble with Palm Sunday, right? The the people all are, are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, literally save us, Jesus, save us, Jesus. And in their minds, they're thinking that Jesus is going to be their political savior their king, their earthly Messiah. Jesus receives their praise, but not as an earthly Messiah, as God's Messiah. His agenda is completely different from what they have in their hearts. And so when Jesus shows this, that he does not intend to to have a revolution, but instead goes toward suffering, doesn't resist his trial, doesn't uh, do anything to get, uh, get off the hook, as it were, but goes to death, uh, the people reject him. Our disappointment with God can result in similar rejections of God. How often when we are disappointed with what he's done, with, with how he hasn't come through on our terms, do we just sort of wash our hands and ignore him? Or do we do the thing that I encourage the kids to do this morning? To ask God, why? Why? This seems so logical. God, I asked for this thing and you didn't get... Why didn't you? Can we go toward God when we're disappointed with God? Can we pray, thy will be done? Instead of, can I have my will be done? Let's continue. So after Pilate had said this, he went out to the Jews again and he told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at Passover. 
Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted, not this man, Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again to them and said, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So if Pilate didn't find a case against Jesus, why does Pilate have Jesus flogged? This is not just a minor whipping. This is a brutal torture. Why does Pilate do this to Jesus? If Pilate is convinced that Jesus is innocent. I said a couple of weeks ago that most often people don't do bad things on purpose. Most often people do bad things for the right reason. They do the wrong thing for the right reason. What is Pilate's reasoning here? Consensus is that, that when Pilate realizes that Jesus is innocent, uh, he is scheming how can he let Jesus off the hook while pacifying the mob out there. He wants to release Jesus, but he also wants to pacify the mob. So in his brain, he thinks, if I have the snot kicked out of Jesus and present him pitiful, mocked, bleeding, certainly the crowd will have mercy on him. And then I will be able to release him and the crowd will be satisfied. Win-win, right? Well, except for the whole kicking the snot out of an innocent man, right? It is not okay to do the wrong thing for the right reason. Within Jesus' love command, love God, love the other, there's no room for harming the other because you think it's for their own good. This is not justifiable. Even though things like this might make sense from the world's perspective, in the kingdom of God's love, this is unacceptable. We continue reading. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? 
Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. When the priests and police tell Pilate that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, Pilate freaks out. Within the Roman faith, their uh, sort of organized religion, it was accepted, it was common knowledge that uh, deified humans walk the earth. In fact, the emperor was considered to be a deified human. So the idea of gods walking the earth uh, was acceptable, not only acceptable, it was accepted. It was acknowledged as obvious that there are people that walk the earth that are deified. So imagine how freaky this gets for Pilate. When when, When the chief priests say, this guy He claimed to be the son of God. So Pilate basically goes into Jesus and says, where did you come from? Is it, who are you really? And Jesus responds in this way that only confirms, right, that he is from God, that he's not just an ordinary ruler, that he's not someone pretending to the throne, he's not some political revolutionary, that he is completely different. But Jesus doesn't give a direct answer, does he? And this makes Pilate super angry. And he says, don't you know the power I have over you? And Jesus says, you have no power but the power that was given to you. Again, confirming it. And his perspective is totally different. This is a totally different kind of guy. And then Jesus says... Don't, basically says, don't worry. Your guilt is less than the guilt of the one who turned me over to you. Now, who is on trial here, right? Jesus turns to the judge and says, your guilt is less than the guilt of those who, who turned you. What person who stood accused in front of a judge ever said, your honor, your guilt is actually a little less than the one who arrested me, his guilt? Even as Jesus is being tried, he is completely in charge. He is in total control of what's going on. He isn't surprised. He's not alarmed. He knows this is coming. Oh, he's not pleased about it. Remember his prayer in the garden. Oh, God, I don't want this, but your will be done. I see this coming as your will for my life. Is there some other way? Not my will. Your will be done. So when he's beaten and when he's killed, it's not a surprise. It's the purpose of heaven. The cross is not the pinnacle of shame. It is the pinnacle expression of Jesus' love. His love even for you and for me. We continue reading that from then on, Pilate tried to release him. Pilate really got behind him. 
But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. And he sat himself on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. And they cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate answered them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then he handed them over, him over to the soldiers to be crucified. The crowd plays their final tactic, and it's a doozy. They threaten Pilate's political career. They say, if you release Jesus, then you're not a friend of the emperor. There's a couple things going on here. Uh, one is, if you have someone who claims to be king, and only the emperor can be king, and you arrest him for claiming to have authority, you can't release the king. There can only be one emperor. So you're not a friend of the emperor. But the deeper level going on here is friend of the emperor is a title. It's a title. It's an honor that's been given to Pilate. He is considered friend of Caesar. And the crowd threatens Pilate's title. They threaten his political career in its entirety. Because if word gets out that, that he has released the king of the Jews... And how is he functioning as uh, the, the governor? How is he honoring Caesar? How is he friend of the emperor? His whole political career is in danger. So Pilate reluctantly does the wrong thing in order to protect his career. He hands Jesus over to his soldiers for execution, and by doing so, he shows who his God really is. His God is his own career. His God is his own uh, name, and the titles bestowed upon him by the Caesar. He serves himself, even above the life of an innocent man. Pilate does so reluctantly. But in order to get what they want, the chief priests and the religious elders disown God eagerly. They proclaim, we have no king but the emperor. In Judaism, God is king. Man, you don't need to get through many chapters of the Old Testament before you realize there's one king for the Hebrew people, and it is God. And, and when the people beg God for a king, God relents and says, look, this is not going to go well for you, but I'll, I'll, I'll rule through, I'll work with this king. But now God's people say, we don't have a king except this emperor who claims to be God. 
It is a supreme form of idolatry. If we are brave this morning, if we're brave this morning, we'll ask ourselves, what am I serving other than God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What, what am I putting in front of my worship of God? What am I putting in front of, of my life of devotion to this God of love? And we'll lay it all down. And we'll lay it all down. And when we find ourselves serving something else again, we'll lay it down again and again and again until God alone rules our lives. Whether we are betraying God in order to get what we want reluctantly or brazenly, it is still an idolatry. It is still worshiping something other than our God of love. As Blake mentioned, we need to worship on Friday. We need to go to come here on Friday and to finish the tough bits of this story together. To walk with Jesus all the way, all the way to the tomb. Learn the lessons that we need to learn from that. And then rejoice together on Sunday. We will see Jesus, who did nothing wrong, executed for everything ever done wrong. And by God's grace, we will experience the truth that because of Jesus' death, we who do everything wrong are not convicted for anything. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Jesus, your love is extraordinary. It boggles the mind. It begs words to describe. God, we who show love uh, sometimes begrudgingly and some, most often only in order to get back what we've given or or because of social pressures, you, Jesus, you, you gave it all. God, you, you marched to the cross with a purpose, and we praise you for that. Jesus, thank you for going all the way, for seeing this through to the end, that we might have life in you now and forever. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would continue to be whispering to us, God. Continue to be showing us the way, convicting us, enabling us to, to lay aside our sin and to follow you. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.